Uh, I went to school at Duke Divinity and graduated a long time ago, and that's how I got connected to Pastor Lisa. I worked for InterVarsity for the last seven years and served as a national director for their black student ministry, overseeing all of their ministry to black students. And then after 10 years or so in ministry, I felt a really strong tug to pursue medicine. So I've changed the context of my ministry from college students and pastoring to the hospital. So I'll share more of my story later so you guys get a chance to know me. But uh, for almost a year now, I've been sitting in a particular passage of scripture. It's Isaiah 30, and it's a passage of scripture that I think is giving me perspective. A passage that won't leave me. It's a passage that evokes uh, both anger, joy, grief, and sadness. And I sit down to read the scripture, and sometimes it's easy, and other times I'm like, I, I, I don't want to deal with this right now, Lord. But one thing I've learned is that when you sit down to read scripture and it captures your attention like that, you have to pay attention to it. That's often the thing that clues me into the fact that God is doing something here, that God is trying to communicate something to me, that God has a word for me. So I'm going to trust that a year of sitting in this passage, a year of sitting in Isaiah 30, and what God has been doing in me, that maybe there's something that God will also do in you this morning through this passage of scripture. Now, Isaiah 30 has been teaching me how to uh, trust God and how not to put my trust in the familiar stories of my life and of this world, right? It's teaching me that the story of the people of God is one where we would often rather cling to things that are familiar that than actually to follow God into unexpected and unpredictable places. Isaiah 30 is brutal, it is honest, it is convicting, it is an unveiling of our lives as it is, and an invitation to a life with God that is both abundant and good. A, a life that is not without pain or not without doubt or suffering, but a life where we get to walk in step with who God is and say, God, I trust you, help me trust you more. It's an opportunity to say, despite what I may encounter, that I know that true life is found in God and God alone. So I'm going to pray for us, to this, pray for us this morning, and we'll jump into Isaiah 30. Holy God, you are good. You are good even when things don't look good. You are the one who calls us out of our familiar stories and narratives and into a life that is abundant. So Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning in a way that only you can speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts to hear your word, and that you would proclaim your goodness and your kindness to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's jump in. Isaiah 30, verses 1 through 5. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in Zoan and their envoys who arrived in Hanes, everyone will be put to shame 
because of a people useless to them, who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. Wow. It's like fire and brimstone. It's like, who is this woman and why is she bringing this message? Well, this is scripture, right? Israel had a promise from God, an invitation to trust in, to depend on, and to worship God. This is a God who delivered them out of slavery from Egypt and into an unknown but a promised future. The only known part of this future is that God, Emmanuel, the God who is with us, would be with them. So here they find themselves in the middle of a war with the Assyrians. Israel was being conquered and plundered. They were being destroyed. Their culture was being destroyed. Their people were being enslaved and even killed. The prophet Isaiah tells us that Israel was planning to go back to Egypt because of what they were facing. In this moment of fear and anxiety and confusion, the people of Israel who had, who had, who had this fond memory of what was, they talk about the shade of Egypt, the shade that Egypt provided them when they were working in the hot sun and they remembered Pharaoh's protection to them. In their angst, Israel was choosing what they knew, what was familiar, what was predictable. They chose it as a comforting story. But let's remember the story, right? If we go back and we look at Exodus, Egypt was a place that enslaved their foremothers and their forefathers. It was a place that killed their sons and their daughters out of fear. It was a place that fed them scraps. It made their lives bitter with hard labor. It oppressed them from, from keeping them, it kept them from knowing their own strength. So faced with an unfamiliar future and a familiar past, Israel said, well, at least we know that darkness behind us. They didn't want to choose God, the one who had done the unimaginable in their lives. The one who had freed them from slavery, the one who had kept them in the wilderness and kept their shoes and their clothes from wearing out, the one who had fed them manna. I think we tend to fantasize about what was, you know, what was way back then because it's comfortable and it's familiar. We have a fondness for our Egypts and our pharaohs, believing that Egypt will bring us shade when Egypt is no shade at all. Believing that Pharaoh will be our protection when Pharaoh is just a taskmaster who will keep us from realizing our own strength. There's something predictable and comfortable about the old places in our lives, the old narratives, the old habits, the old stories that keep us running back to them day after day. So what is your Pharaoh? What is your Egypt? Sometimes the only dreams we can dream are the ones that we can manage to muster up in our old stories that we're living. Like Israel, when we're faced with a challenge, we take comfort in the predictable and the familiar, whether it's good or bad, because at least we know that story. There are the stories we've come to believe and accept as the standard because it's what's been spoken over us or what's been spoken to us or it's the reality of the life that we live and where we come from, our experiences. So by the time I was 12 or 13, I had a story that was a familiar story to me. 
It would be the narrative that I clung to well into my adulthood. I grew up believing that I deserved every bit of abuse that was heaped on me. That I didn't deserve good things. That, that my worth was based in my accomplishments and what I could do. I lived in a place of shame, believing that life didn't actually matter, that it had no value at all, and that I was unlovable. Even when good things were happening to me, I couldn't help, I couldn't enjoy them. I felt like God was standing there waiting to pull the carpet from under me. But he wasn't doing that to everyone else, it was just me. These were my comfortable narratives that shaped my view of the world for years to come. The story was so deep that I believed that life was not worth living. I believe these things because these are stories that played over and over and over again in my life. I don't always remember the stories of joy and celebration and overcoming as much as I remember the stories of abuse, the stories of shame, the narratives of poor self-worth. So instead of remembering God, I run to Egypt. I run to the familiar. I run to what I know. And while these narratives help us to make sense of this world, our lives and our experiences, they also make us short-sighted. Because like Israel, we're running to what is comfortable. We naturally sink ourselves into a place of complacency and forget that there might be new life and new stories that God wants to bring forth in our lives. Our old stories, they give us the same broken results that we're running from. They weaken our imagination. They often lead us to places of more and more brokenness. These stories also make us to depend only on what we can see and what we can fathom and imagine in this moment. These stories keep us from seeing God. So God has to remind Israel of this because God is good at reminding us when we forget. God says your old comforts, they will lead to your death. That Pharaoh's protection will be your shame. That Egypt's shade, it will be your disgrace. The fondness for your old familiar stories, it's not going to work out for you. So Isaiah continues in verse 12 and reminds Israel of this. Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you have rejected this message, relied on oppression and dependent on deceit, the sin will become for you, this sin will become for you like a high wall cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces, not a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water from a cistern. This is what the sovereign lords, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. And at a threat of five, you will flee away. Till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountain, like a banner on a hill. Isaiah tells Israel something they've heard over and over and over again. When you trust in only what you know, 
when you trust in only what you can see, when you take comfort in your past stories, when you make that your home, it might be good for a while, but it will lead to death. In God, there is freedom and life and flourishing and stability. In our familiar stories that we run to instead of running to God is comfort that ultimately leaves us more and more broken. The comfortable narratives might pacify our fears, our despair, and our grief temporarily, but they will not help us flourish. They might decorate the pit that we've made look like our home, but they will not rescue us from that pit. Instead of trust and obedience in God, Israel went and put their trust in an old story, Egypt. And it's true, Egypt would protect them, but Egypt would also destroy their identity, their vision, and then them. You can trust in your old stories, but it will be your suffering. Alex, uh, what is true that you cling to in your life? What is the familiar story and narrative that gives you comfort? But it doesn't help bring you the kind of abundant life that God is promising. In what story have you placed your trust? Now, my dad, for most of my life, um, I guess when I was three, uh, he lived a story where he believed that God took my mom from us, that, that God somehow uh, killed her. He said, there can't be a God if God would let something like this happen. And so he raised us, he said, you can be whatever you want in life, just don't become a Christian, because that's the kind of God that would do something like that. He lived in this deep place of distrust and anger. And then he took that, that anger and distrust out on us, both physically and emotionally. So I grew up believing that somehow I was a mistake because of the experiences that I was living. That if there was a God, that God was cruel to put me in a family like this. I wrestled with some deep depression that felt like I couldn't escape this place because this place was my family. So by the time I got to college, my context was pretty much still the same. My family was pretty dysfunctional. I was in a pit so deep that I had decorated it and made it home. That I couldn't imagine another way out. And that first semester of college, I decided that if things didn't get better, that I would take my life. But I stumbled upon the kindness and compassion of some people on, on campus. Uh, I wasn't a Christian, stumbled into a campus ministry, and I was like, who are these people and who is this God that they're talking about? Because everything I know about this God doesn't make sense. And they would worship on a Friday night. And a bunch of football players would be on the first row crying. And I'm like, they have everything. Like, why are they here instead of being at a frat party on a Friday night? And they just kept showing up. I kept going back and they kept loving me and kept asking me to come to Bible study. So I joined a Bible study. And then I joined four Bible studies. And I was like, wow, they really kind of live out what they believe. And not only are they seeking kind of their, their own... Um, revival but they're seeking the revival of campus and so I joined the gospel choir because I like to sing and I was enjoying it and one evening right before a concert we were running through our um, our set and we were singing the song manifest it's an old song 
um, by T.D. Jakes. And uh, one of the lines in the song uh, said that, um, that we are being birthed to become who God wants us to be. And that everyone is pregnant with possibilities. That God is doing something new in us. And as, I, as we were singing those words, I started weeping. Because that's not a story that I had ever believed for myself. That God would use someone like me and that God could give birth to a new story. And it was through the kindness and compassion that God and this community showed me last night that I became a Christian. It's this kindness and compassion that led me to start following Jesus, to believe that something new could happen. It's this moment that I realized that whatever I was doing, wherever I was, I couldn't get myself or I couldn't work myself into a better place. I felt like I had tried everything and that perhaps I needed to trust and utterly depend on God in a way that I had never done before. So I came to faith in college as a chapter president for this particular campus ministry. I went to seminary and then I worked in churches. I was walking with God and every time something would happen, I would run to my old stories. That nobody really loves or cares about me. That you have to do something or work to be loved. That I was the one, I was the only one who could take care of me. That I needed to be extraordinary to have value that I did not deserve to live. I was talking about trusting God, but I was distracted by the things that were ahead of me. What I really wanted to do while I was saying, God, I trust you, was to put my trust in Egypt, to put my trust in Pharaoh. The only way forward I could imagine in those moments of uncertainty is through the lens of my past and my experiences because that was what was familiar. I know that darkness and I would rather choose the darkness that I know than the unfamiliar that is ahead of me. But deep down inside, I also knew that this was a story that had no hope. So I started reading Isaiah 30 last year. It was about last summer, maybe uh, July or August. And I always stopped at verse 17, which is where I stopped reading. In October, I was talking with my spiritual director about this passage and just how angry it makes me. I said, Sally, I, I just don't get it, right? Like, I'm so angry about this passage. I don't blame Israel for wanting to go back to Egypt, right? From all the info that's in front of us, from all of this data right here, it makes sense why they would pursue other options. She didn't say anything as a good spiritual director would do. She sat there in awkward silence as I was like, okay, like I, I need you to tell me why, right? And finally, she offered this gentle nudge. Well, did you read the rest of the passage? What are you talking, like, why would I read the rest of the passage? I'm angry here, so I'm going to stay here. She said, Charlene, since you won't read it, I'll read it to you. Verse 18. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He's gathering strength to show mercy and compassion to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. For if people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. 
As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though, the, and though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you, saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to your left, then you will desecrate your expensive idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal Im images. You will scatter them as unclean things, and you will say to them, do not. As she was finishing up that passage, I started to weep. And she said, well, another translation says that the Lord stands on his tiptoes waiting to show you mercy and compassion, waiting to show you grace. She said, why are you so afraid to let go of what you know? Why are you clinging to your Egypt? Because these old stories, they were valuable to, for you at a time. They kept you alive, but you don't need them anymore. They have become your expensive idols. She said, God wants to give you a new story. One you might not be able to see very clearly, or one where you can't see very far down the road. But the one thing is for sure, that this is God, the Emmanuel, who is with us and has never left or forsaken us. And with that, I, I, I was both relieved and filled with grief and anger at the same time. I had made idols of old stories that I could run to when life felt unpredictable, because that's what we do. This is what Israel did. But there is an invitation for us. It's an invitation for us to turn away from our expensive idols, to turn away from the narratives and, and comforts of the stories that we have placed our trust in, and to turn towards God. There's an invitation for us here. So what is your Egypt? What is your Pharaoh? What are the old stories that you're clinging to, and what are they promising you? Often, we're good at turning away from the stuff that is, like, very clearly sin or very clearly causing us pain. But it's a lot harder for us to turn from the things that give us comfort, even if it's bad for us. Our old stories, our pharaohs, our Egypts, they might not be causing us clear pain. But like Israel, Egypt and Pharaoh won't give us what they promise us. Instead, it puts us back into a place of slavery, a place that normalizes what we're in and says, deal with it. This is not life, and this is not God. God's story that collides with our story is the only story that can bring revival that trickles beyond us. It's a story of grace and mercy and compassion that both restores us, renews us, and sets us on solid ground when everything else is shifting. John 10 says, the evil one comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I, Jesus, have come so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The comfortable narratives are a ploy from the enemy that keep us from experiencing the fullness of who God is. The enemy would want you to believe that the only thing that is possible is the thing that you can dream or imagine for yourself. That the comfortable stories that you believe for you and your family, I believe that God wants to do something different. 
The passage says that because of God's goodness, his grace and his mercy, his compassion that is shown to us, to Israel, that we will go and find our expensive idols and that we will desecrate them. I imagine walking into an idol factory and taking all of the fine jewelry, the expensive china, the art, and destroying all of it and throwing it down and saying, no more, good riddance. I don't need this anymore. That we will destroy the stories, the things, the beliefs that turn us away from God, that we've placed our hope in and to say, I'm done. That we'll say no to the lies, that we'll cast down the pride, the significance, the relationships that we place our trust and hope in, the sin that we run to, the identity that we try to create for ourselves, the performance that is around us, and that we'll admit that some days, while it looks very enticing, it's not worth it. God longs to show you mercy and compassion, the kind that surprises you, the kind that makes you stop dead in your tracks and lay down your old stories that have given you warmth. And this is the kind of compassion that changes the trajectory of lives. It pulls us out of depression and shame and loneliness. It heals brokenness and places of abuse. It tells us that our value does not come from external things, but that our value comes from being sons and daughters of a most high God. It tells us that work might feel impossible and overwhelming. Our futures might seem uncertain. If you're a student, your grades might be terrible, but that God uses the least of these. It tells us that our families might be overcome by disease, by generational curses, depression, and cycles of abuse, but that God can break and heal those places. It is a God who gives his son to die on a cross for us so that we don't have to live in bondage to Egypt and to Pharaoh. When you cling to God's story and trust in God, despite the unpredictability, despite the fear that you might have, God will bring revival to you. That God will stir in you, in your family, and in your community, life. And that is the kind of life that God brings to us, that brings new things, that births new things. It has been this kindness and compassion that I have seen and experienced from God that has called me into a new story. It's helped me to leave the things that have given me comfort for years and to be open to saying yes to the unimaginable ways of God. And it's this God who stands on his tiptoes waiting to show you compassion and mercy. So this morning I ask you, what is your Pharaoh? What is your Egypt? And what are the stories that you are clinging to that have given you warmth over these days, weeks, and years? And how can you be open to what God wants to do in you? Let's pray. God, you are worthy of all of our praise. And we thank you this morning that you are a God who stands on your tiptoes waiting to show compassion and mercy. That you are with us in every story and in every narrative. And that you are birthing new things even when we can't see it. 
So, Father, would you have your way this morning? Would you bring comfort in the midst of grief? Would you bring joy in the midst of sadness? And, Lord, would you sit with us in the middle of what we're in and what we're facing? In Jesus' name.